Well, hey, Everlast. How are we tonight? Doing good? Ooh, that was a, I don't know who did that. That was a good one. Love it. Uh, well, my name is Tina. I am the young adult coordinator here at Everlast. And my husband is uh, Kevin, our young adult pastor, and we are so excited that you have joined us tonight. Uh, We are starting a brand new series called Throwback Stories. And uh, these are throwback stories primarily from the Old Testament. Uh, Some of these stories you're going to be familiar with. Uh, and others, maybe not so much. Uh, But tonight, we will be starting off with a story that most of you know, if not all of you are familiar with. And so if you will turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, we are going to pray and then dive in. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Well, Father, uh, Father, we love you. And God, we come before you now. And Lord, I just ask... Um, Lord, that you would have your way tonight. Lord, I pray that your will would be done in and through this place. God, I pray that you would speak to each of us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be sensitive to your spirit, that you would lead and guide me as uh, I teach of your word. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for, for you, God, that um, we get to come here tonight and not just to worship you through song, but we get to worship you through your word. And so, Father, we love you, and uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, uh, I don't know about you, but I love a good underdog story. Uh, I'm the type of person who, when watching a game on TV or if some kind of competition is going down, I'm the one who asks, hey, who's most likely to win? And then I'm going to go for the other team. Like, I want the team who is considered the underdog to win. I'm all about the upset and them coming out on top. I I love the underdog. I can remember back in my good old YMCA days. Anyone do YMCA sports? Just me. Cool. Uh... Awesome. So back in my YMCA days, uh, I was on a basketball league. My dad was the head coach. And y'all, our team was horrible. Horrible. The YMCA did not even out the skill level amongst the teams. Uh, We had girls who literally had never played basketball in their lives, that they didn't know the rules, how to dribble a ball. Uh, I can remember our first practice and I, I can remember I passed a ball to a girl. She did catch it, surprisingly. But as she caught it, she looked at the ball, grasped it in her arms, close to her chest, and just started running towards the other side of the court. There was no dribbling, no understanding of the game whatsoever. And that was about how our season went. I'm pretty sure, I'm not pretty sure, I know, we came in dead last Uh, that good old YMCA year. Not a proud moment for me. However, uh, there was this one game that I can remember that we did win. And I remember the end of that game specifically because everyone was cheering. People were freaking out. Uh, Girls were crying. Parents were crying. The refs were even crying. No, they, they weren't crying. But everyone was so excited because the underdogs, despite the odds of majority of the team having no idea what they were doing, 
we came out and won a game. <laughs> it was good old fourth grade. Uh, it was your typical underdog story, and we all love a good underdog story. Now, the reason I share that tonight is because the story we're going to be talking about tonight is typically referred to and known by most people as this great, amazing underdog story, and that is the story of David and Goliath. In one corner, you have David, who is this young Hebrew shepherd boy who isn't likely to win. And in the other corner, you have Goliath, who is stronger, bigger, more skilled, and is expected to just utterly destroy David. But if you are familiar with the story, if not, spoiler alert here, uh, David rises up, kills Goliath with only but a slingshot and stone in hand. This story is often described as this underdog story with David being the underdog and him mustering up this personal courage to fight against this giant. It is often described as a story of get out there and face your giant because with courage you will come out on top. Uh, it is often used as a story to pump you up on how to face your problems, to, to pump you up so you can face your giant. But that is not what this story is about. It is true that David was courageous, and courage is essential, but what we are going to see as we read through the story of David and Goliath is that this story is much more than a pump-up speech or a story of mustering up enough courage to go and defeat your giant. We're going to see something much, much more than that. So starting in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, read along with me. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkot and Azekah in Ephes Damim, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Allah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So pause right there. So you have uh, the Philistines on uh, one mountain and Israel on the other, and a valley between them, and both sides gather in preparation for battle. And as the scene is set, a champion by the name of Goliath in verse 4 emerges out from the camp of the Philistines, and he is massive. Uh, verses four through six give us specific details of how massive this dude really is. The text says in verse four that he was six cubits in a span, meaning he was possibly eight feet to nine feet tall. In, verses five, in verse five, it says he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which, by the way, is equivalent to weighing 125 pounds. You have to be insanely strong to be able to carry the weight of wearing 125 pounds. And listen, that is not including the weight of his helmet, bronze armor on his legs and his weapons, right? This is a big dude. Now imagine that. Put, put yourself in that scene. You are amongst the men of Israel, and out comes from the Philistine camp the champion by the name of Goliath, extraordinary in height, strength, 
and covered in this heavy armor. And then with a loud voice, you hear him shout, verse eight, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now imagine that, right? That would be a terrifying thing. In fact, the reason this text gives us so much detail about Goliath uh, is to help us understand the fear of what the men of Israel uh, were experiencing in this moment. This was no small task. Goliath is intimidating, and not just in physical stature. But if you were to read down to verse 33, Goliath was also highly trained. He was experienced in battle. It says he has been a man of war from his youth, right? He's been doing this for a while. This, this isn't his first rodeo here. This, this isn't his first battle. And so this was a fearful moment for Saul and the Israel men. And you see that in verse 11. Look at their response. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And they were afraid because someone is going to have to face this guy, right? Goliath just came onto the scene with a whole new set of rules, right? He has a whole different idea of how to do a battle. He's basically saying, hey, there's no need for all this bloodshed, army to army. Instead, let's do man to man. And he shouts to the men of Israel, you choose a man for yourselves and let him come, come down to me. And if he kills me, we'll be your servants. But if I kill him, then you will serve us as you will become our servants. He's setting new stakes here, new grounds, and it's a whole new ballgame. Now, what's interesting is the very guy who you would think would lead out in this battle, who, who was actually known for his height and stature, who should be leading the people, their very own leader, King Saul. Yet in verse 11, it says he was greatly afraid. He was tuckering back. He's not about to go out and face Goliath. And so instead of Saul, who should be the guy? Uh, who should be the guy? Enter in the scene a man by which we know as David. Now, David, if you were to read verses 12 through 16, it says he was the youngest out of his brothers and that he would go back and forth from feeding sheep to delivering messages while his older brothers were in the military fighting along side Saul. So this is super important. I don't want you to miss that. David wasn't currently in the military. He was a shepherd attending to the sheep. He, he has not arrived onto the battle scene yet. But in verse 18, his dad sends him on an errand and he says, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Right? David's, David's dad wants to make sure his brothers are okay, so he sends David. And so David shows up to the scene. And listen, David shows up not knowing what to expect, not, not knowing uh, who Goliath is yet, not knowing what lies ahead. He shows up to the scene to do his duty of delivering cheese. 
I love that because when we recall this story to mind, most of us don't remember that David came on the scene to serve cheese. That that's not usually the first thing that people remember about the great story of David and Goliath. But it's important to know because one, David wasn't in the army, he was too young. So instead he came to serve his brothers by way of bringing them food. And that's important because two, David came in a lowly position, uh, one with a heart posture of humility, right? Serving cheese, I wouldn't think would necessarily be the job that would get the praise and the honor, right? Good job, man. Keep serving the cheese. That's not typically what would take place, right? The praise and the honor would be expected and given to the one who won the battle, not by the cheese guy, not by the guy who's running around asking if anyone would prefer Swiss or cheddar. Yet, isn't that the kind of heart God wants? A humble heart, a faithful servant to be obedient to do whatever it is that God has called him or her to do. And you see, God knew David's heart. David was a man after God's own heart. And as David is faithfully, uh, faithfully following his father's orders, he greets his brother and then hears a loud voice coming from the ranks of the Philistine army. A voice that was taunting the Israel army morning and night, waiting for someone to come and battle him. Verse 23, read along with me. Behold the champion, the Philistine of Gath. Goliath by name came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. Now, after David heard him, I want you to notice David's response. Look at verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Did you notice David's response? That David had a much different response hearing and seeing this Philistine for the first time than when Saul and the army of Israel saw and heard Goliath for the first time. Right, their response was one of great fear and great distress, whereas David's response is, is, who, is who is this guy? Right, David starts asking around, who is this man that is defying God? And David's response is, this isn't right. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? Who, who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? And David's response is much, much different. Why? Why would his response be different? Did David saw the same guy? David saw the same giant who had the same size, same build, same warrior that Saul and the army of Israel had seen many days before. Nothing had changed in that time frame. Why would his response be different? The reason David had a different response is because how David viewed the giant was completely different than how Saul and his army viewed the, the giant. And isn't that interesting? You and I could see the exact same thing and have a completely different perspective and response. Uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, I have gone to see movies with people 
and we've all heard and watched the same thing, and yet we come out of that movie theater with completely different reactions and responses, right? Some of my friends are gonna be like, that was the best movie I've ever seen. And then some of my friends are gonna ruin the movie and say that was the worst movie I've ever seen, right? It never fails because even though we saw the same thing, listen, what we see is a matter of how we see it. But what we see is a matter of how we see it. David and Saul's army both see the same thing, yet David sees the giant and believes, my God is bigger than that giant. Saul and his army sees Goliath and thinks, that giant is way bigger than God. David viewed God bigger than the giant. And because of that, their responses are going to look different. And Everlast, I think a good question to ask is what giant, what, what fear, what thing, what circumstance am I viewing bigger than God? Because our response is going to show and reflect what we believe about God. Do I believe that God is bigger or do I look at my circumstance or sin or whatever it may be and then I minimize the character of God? I love how John Bloom said it. He said, our fears are not primarily about us, even though they feel that way. Our fears are primarily about God. They impunge God's character and call him weak or non-existent. What we see is a matter of how we see it. And how we see it will dictate our response. And just like David and Saul's army, one response is out of fear while the other response is out of faith. And you see that, uh, we'll see that continually play out even in the following verses, verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. Then David responded to Saul immediately, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. That is a response of faith, verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. That is a response not of faith, but of doubt and fear. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Right? David's response is one that continues to be of courage and faith. And the reason for that is because David is making it very clear. It was the Lord who delivered him before, and it will be the Lord who will deliver him again. 
It doesn't matter that Saul lacked the faith. It doesn't matter that the people around him lacked faith. It doesn't matter that this giant before him who is massive and strong and mighty has more experience in battle. It doesn't matter because David's faith and courage wasn't in himself, but in God. It was God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the bear, and it wasn't David's own doing. And because of that, David has seen God's faithfulness to take care of his past circumstances, and therefore he can trust and rely on God to take care of his present circumstances. David's faith isn't derived in himself. His faith is placed in the living God who is trustworthy and faithful. What fueled David's courage was his confidence in God's promises and God's power to fulfill them. Which is so key here. Because a lot of people who read this story think this is a story about an underdog who steps up to the plate with all confidence in himself and victoriously takes on this giant with the message that you can do it. Go fight your battles. Uh, Go fight your giants. And yes, David did win. And yes, he was the underdog, but that's not the message. That the message and the reason that David won was because the Lord was with him. That the Lord is the one who delivered him. And David knew that. And the reason David stepped up was because of his faith in God. He trusted and had full confidence that the Lord would rescue him. Again, what fueled David's courage was his confidence in God's promises and God's power to fulfill them. And everlast, I would just ask the question, what is fueling you? What, what is your confidence currently in, God or something else? The reason David had a confidence in facing this giant was because of who his faith was in. His faith, hope, wasn't in himself or the circumstance. It was in God. And I just, I know for me, there are times where, man, that's just uh, easier said than done. Uh, There are times where that giant is staring me in the face and it seems impossible to move. Um, I'll just give you an example. Let me just use this water bottle because that's what's right here. There are times where that giant, clearly this isn't super giant, but it's right in my eyesight. Uh, What I'm facing is, is staring me in the face and anywhere I look, it's right there. I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to move past it and it's following me. And then sometimes I can move past it but it's still in my peripheral. And then if I look to the right, it's still there, I can still see it. Even if I try to look above it, I can still see this thing that I don't know how to move past from. And yet what we're called to do is not look through the thing or look to the right or look to the left. We are called to look up at Jesus and as I look up at Jesus, this water bottle, this giant is no longer in my peripheral. I look up to where my confidence is found in the one whose promises hold true and who's, who has the power to fulfill them. And that is where my faith should reside, in Jesus. David's faith is in a God who is faithful and whose promises hold true. In fact, in the preceding chapter, God says that David will be the next king. So since David knows that God has chosen him to be the next king, David goes into this fight believing God's promises. He's believing that God will deliver him because if God's promise and word holds true, he's supposed to be king, which means he can't die. He won't die. 
Now, some of you may be, uh, some of you may hear that and think, well, if God had promised him to be king in the future, then that would have been easy to step up and go and battle against Goliath. Yet how many times for us as believers, we know the word, we know God's word, we, we know his promises, and yet there are areas where we still lack faith to do the things God is asking us to do. It's one thing to know the promises of God, and it's another thing to place our faith in the God of those promises. David's confidence, his faith was not derived from a place of, I can do this, I got this. Uh, if I just have enough courage in myself, I will slay and kill this giant. No, David's confidence and faith was empowered by God. His confidence and faith was in knowing that this is God's battle, not mine. And Everlast, let this encourage you that whatever you are facing tonight, whatever fear or obstacle or circumstance or giant that is facing you, God is bigger than that giant, and we can trust in his word and in his promises. And that is exactly what David did. Uh, read with me at verse 45. David, with his faith in God, confidently approaches Goliath, boldly declaring, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That is a speech. <laughs> and did you notice David used the name of the Lord six times in that section alone? David's point is this. This is the Lord's battle. The Lord will fight for me. The Lord will deliver me, and God will get the glory. Uh, David is making this very clear. This is not about me, but about God. And in verse 49, David puts his hand in his bag, takes out a stone, and with his slingshot, nails Goliath in the forehead, and in one shot, Goliath drops dead to the ground. And now all the assembly knows that there is a God in Israel and that this God is a victorious king. And the point of this story is for us to see that too. That, that this story is about our victorious king who has made a way for us. Not uh, who, saves with, uh, who saves not with sword and spear, but by the blood of Jesus. That for those who've placed their faith in him, we've already won. The heart and theme of this story is not a pep talk or some inspiring speech for you to go out and conquer your fears on your own strength. It is about seeing and knowing that we have a God whose promises hold true, who fights for us, who stands in the gap between us and whatever we are facing, and he is the God of salvation who has already won the victory. I love how John Piper put it on his Twitter. He has a Twitter. He tweeted, the story of David and Goliath is about the existence of God 
the salvation of God and the global mission of God. That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. And if you are here tonight and you are struggling with some fear, some circumstance, some battle that is staring you in the face and it seems intimidating, it seems overwhelming, it seems impossible, it seems too big, be encouraged. God is much bigger and we can trust his promises. The same God who was for David is for you. Keep your eyes fixated on the one who's already won the victory. Remember his promises, remember his faithfulness in your past circumstances, and that he is able and is faithful to carry you through this one. The battle is not yours to face alone. The battle is the Lord's. And the same God who was with David in the battle is the same God who is with you in yours. And if you are in the room tonight and you don't know Jesus, you don't know this victorious king who is over in and through your current battle or circumstance, uh, let me encourage you, don't fight this battle alone because in the end, you will not win. For those who've placed their faith in Jesus, we get Jesus and that is the most important win. Everlast, may we look up and fixate our eyes on the one who sees our circumstances, who sees our sin struggles, who sees our giants and is with us in the battle. Take courage and hold fast to his promises and may our faith be rooted in the one who fights our battles for us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.